Hi, I'm Bee Heller, your host of The Pioneers, a podcast series in which I interview business founders and leaders who are pioneering new ways of working and management practices, all with the aim of creating inspiring company cultures. Today, I'm interviewing Leanne Katz, founder of Mama Codes, a company that's transforming the way children and their parents and teachers learn to code. And in the process, she's thrown out the notion of a nine to five job and has given a community of people opportunities to work in ways that fit their lifestyle. I just don't think the nine to five works anymore. There is no concept of nine to five, Monday to Friday in our business. And I have to really hammer it home to new joiners. They're really nervous to say, oh, but you know, my child will be at home that day. I'm like, so what? That's absolutely fine. The Pioneers is a podcast for business founders and people leaders who are striving to make their own workplaces deliver for their people and who want their culture to be a source of strength that's likely to drive the future growth of their company. I interview business founders and people leaders we can all learn something from. I try to get past the conceptual ideas and bring you the day-to-day habits and practices these businesses and leaders use to create and sustain their cultures. I'll bring you one pioneer each episode, so tune in for 30 minutes of wisdom and practical ideas that you can test in your own organisation each week. My name is Leanne Katz and I'm co-founder and CEO of Mama.Codes. We are a creative coding club network for children, uh, really quite young children, so we teach children from age three to eight how to code computers, uh, how to learn programming. And I am uh, a mum of two, my Kids are now 10 and 7, but I started the company with two other mums working in digital when our kids were much younger, kind of early primary age, because we'd had, I think, collectively something like 40 years of experience in digital, and we were very clear our kids should learn this vital 21st century skill. And as parents, we wanted to understand it so we could support it. We envisaged homework coming back with reading and math and coding, and we thought, how can we support this? So we started reading in, and quite soon we realised... It was really fun and really creative and we could share that with our peers and our other families locally in the form of a kind of innovative parent hack event uh, where parents came round literally to our homes and just coded some stuff, had some cake and sometimes a drink and they said you've got to put this online as a website and that's sort of the business at that point was then born. So when you first started you were bringing mums and their children or dads and their children together in your front room at home had a clear idea of the opportunity for this kind of a company did you have a clear vision right in those days of the sort of company that you were going to create internally so not the product that you were going to offer but internally Mm -hmm. what was the kind of business that you were that you might create out of this absolutely I think we had a clear sense that this was going to be massive and we were very ambitious about the scale of what we wanted to achieve we wanted something to be global we wanted to empower families and that's a theme that I'm very pleased we've really kept at the core of what we do so if you compare Mama Code's activities and content to perhaps some other code club providers we're all about inclusive accessible and creative coding activities rather than just more video games or very kind of male-centred, quite high-tech, very numerate activities. We code songs, jokes and nursery rhymes. Everyone can do it. And we're really, really pleased that we attract at least 50% girls to our clubs. It's something we very consciously work at. It doesn't happen overnight. And uh, in terms of our team, what we've built is a very, very um, uh, flexible working team of largely parents, not all, but um, 
we're supporting people to work in a way that's a, that allows them to have other activities, responsibilities. Some people are students, some people are, have other part-time jobs, and many have caring responsibilities in their families. So that was always something we wanted to do. Help me understand how the first couple of years of the business have been, or first four years of the business have been, uh, by sharing the proudest moment in that time. So through the summer and the autumn of last year, we, we, we were winning a lot of awards, and who doesn't like winning an award? But particularly the one that, that resonated with me was uh, an award from a Mums in Business Association, specifically recognising the real challenge of juggling a young business and a young family. And um, I might have shed a few tears when I accepted that. Yeah. I had been at a Hindu earlier in the day, which <laughs> probably contributed. Um, and then more recently, we started teaching um, children from the Grenfell community uh, for free, um, partly as a corporate social responsibility activity, but also partly as a training academy. So we have I don't know if, you, if you've ever had a sort of trainee hairdresser cut your hair for a fiver. It's that sort of principle that we have our, our recent trainees getting practical experience in a, in, a, in a setting where people haven't paid for the class. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're actually our highest achieving cohort. They're the most amazing children I've ever met. So it's really meaningful going to, to teach them. And our teacher in that area is actually used to live in the tower as well. So it's a very meaningful kind of little um, side project that we have ongoing. So doing some amazing things externally, uh, both charitable and profitable, internally within the company in the first few years of the business, what have been your biggest people management or cultural challenges that you think that you you faced? So with any small business, particularly a startup, it's really hard to work out where to spend your money. You haven't really got any money (laughs) unless you're very lucky. Uh, to have some yourself or to raise early. Um, so you can either pull in the talent you need on the promise of options and, and equity down the line uh, and lower rates, mates rates, no rates, or you can do your best with your budget and get freelancers. Um, I have chosen to, um, as I see it, empower a lot of people, particularly carers, you know, parents, by working with freelancers and they have a contract where we can offer them all the options of the shift in the work and the termly bookings or the single bookings that they could teach at. But I've chosen to have a very small core team and partly that's through budget constraints as well. So we only have two directors, two employees and and then a team of, um, it varies between about 50 and 60 if you include all the teaching staff and the licensees. Mm-hmm. We're actually building up a franchise. Okay. So the initial uh, year has been about testing out the appetite from parents and children and also potential franchisees and their support staff, their support teaching staff, mm-hmm. about these classes. It's a completely new thing, really, um, in the past three, four, five years to have coding as an extracurricular activity. So when you're trying to sell something completely new where people don't have an established set of um, value assumptions around the product, you have to work pretty hard. So mm-hmm. we felt it wasn't sensible to go straight out and sell five-year, 10-year franchise uh, agreements to people we hadn't met. We'd rather, I come from a product management background, all about the test and learn. So we, we recruited some pilots. We had myself as sort of rep zero, and then we had a couple in North and West London to test the different uh, demographics of the sort of parent villages of London um, to see if it could scale, see if the curriculum could scale. Could we train people effectively and safely to run classes at arm's length? Um, and would people pay for it and would they pay the same? Once we'd established that, we really ramped up and from about March through to September, we got up to you know 12 licensees in different parts of London. And now we're just about to launch in Belfast as well. So that's going to be the furthest wow. territory away from base that we're supporting. 
how do you maintain or do you want to maintain a consistency of delivery and a kind of a mama codes this is the way that we do this this is the way that we teach coding and there's a spirit to that and a an ethos around that that is I would have thought quite important. It's absolutely crucial. It's absolutely essential. What we do is we, we get everybody in for training, which actually in a remote team is a very nice way to get to know everybody, to make sure I know everybody's name. So that's face-to-face training? Face-to-face training. And we do practical training. We do uh, business training for those who are licensees, who aren't just you know, teaching assistants. We uh, then do a safeguarding day where we do safeguarding and first aid and everyone has to kind of resuscitate me and I have to resuscitate them. It's amazingly good for team bonding doing CPR. It's actually quite a physical, yeah. um, intimate thing to do with your It's uh, kind of the opposite mate. end of the spectrum to coding as well. It's like yes. that ultimate person-to-person yes. life support yes, rather absolutely. than... absolutely. Yeah, it's very, very physical, very concrete. Um, so uh, that's very good. And then we are... Um, always hosting ongoing training in the form of on uh, lunchtime uh, video calls so we call them lunch and learns if there is a uh, an update to procedure such as recently we asked them to start using their registers in a different way getting carers to sign out children you know we just record a very quick video and send that out via our channels I feel that we have such a dispersed team the more they can actually feel face to face with us even if that's in a virtual sense um, the better yeah. that really builds relationships builds a team culture a bit of humor sometimes and actually it's much more easy to digest for them than reams of text yeah so we, we, we think very carefully and, we, and we're always trying to improve how we use different media to to communicate with our largely dispersed team and has that always been plain sailing nothing's ever plain sailing is it um we've actually uh, made huge strides in it I'd say in the last couple of months we, we brought somebody new in on onto the team with a lot of digital experience and um really sort of a, a remit to, to look at all our processes and try and improve them and one of the things she identified was that we were using whatsapp groups to communicate with one set of teaching staff with one role and certain responsibilities and information flow and then we had a different whatsapp group for the rest and we used slack internally for our central team and partly that's because i'm just really tired a lot of the time and i don't want to be sending the wrong messages to the wrong people and i was resisting yet another slack group or what, what workspace and, I was quite a late comer to Slack. I was a bit like, how many pinging things do I need on my phone? But I've been a complete convert. Um, and she suggested that we move the reps onto Slack from WhatsApp. We felt that there was a bit of fatigue, there was a bit of zoning out, because it was all in one torrent of one mm-hmm. single channel. And some people just didn't engage with it at all and missed vital updates. Obviously, they were emailed out as well, but you know you couldn't rely on them seeing it. So... We moved everybody over and I was full of trepidation. We, we coloured the whole thing in differently so it looks completely different on all our devices. And so far we've only had one message go to the wrong side and it's just made us... Um, we've realised really quickly that the peer-to-peer learning and sharing has gone through the roof and mm. we're not needed so much on a Q&A basis because if somebody's asking a question about a certain area of the business, you know, getting their listings right or their marketing right, someone else would have done that the day before and just pop in and say, oh... Just sharing in, in the manner that, you know, you might have that in a WhatsApp group for a school, parent, parents of a class. Um, so the peer learning has, has really improved. And people aren't zoning out because it's not just this torrent of, of mixed priority messages. Yeah. We've also recorded a, a Cotton's Etiquette video, another video training snippet that went round. So we developed a sort of etiquette of P1 is literally drop everything. I'm probably going to phone you in a moment. The website's down kind of level. 
we need to drop everything and fix this. P2 is, I can't really progress without your input. Can you just get back to me on this when you can? And P3 is, just so you know, I've moved this thing on, but someone might ask you and just to make sure there's no duplication or confusion. And it revolutionised everything for me. And another thing that we changed recently was um, I've always been passionate about uh, flexible working and enabling people uh, to do this. I just don't think the nine to five works anymore. I don't, there is no concept of nine to five, Monday to Friday in our business. And I have to really hammer it home to new joiners. They're really nervous to say, oh, but you know, my child will be at home that day. I'm like, so what? That's absolutely fine. As long as you get your work done and you're available at the times we agree that I need to speak to you or, or we need to catch up, then I don't care if you work at three in the morning as long as it gets done. So there's no, there's no concept of nine to five. And that means that a lot of people with very young children were pinging me at 7 to 9 p.m. because that's when the, that was their hands-free time, but that's my only golden family time. From 7 to 9 p.m., unfortunately, is their bedtime. Um, and that's when they get me and they don't want pings, and I don't want pings. In fact, my son said to me the other day, can you put your phone down? Do you think you can? <laughs> it's a bit humbling. So actually having the confidence to say, do you know what? I'm supporting you all with your flexible working and I'm killing myself and it's killing us all. So please, can we just not pick me between seven and nine? It was a very simple thing to say and it stopped overnight and it's been fantastic. So the last month or so, I've had a really lovely time with my family and everything's felt a lot more in balance. Yeah. Tiny thing, but really quite powerful. So I think using technology and the tools for task management and communication wisely and to their maximum effect has been so transformative and enabled us to build this largely remote team who actually feel connected. Mm. It's really interesting listening to you talk about how you use the tools and it's not the importance of the it's not just the importance of the quality of those tools but actually the conversations and the etiquette that you set around that. Etiquette um, and training is so key and it has to be ongoing because if you're growing there's always new people and they don't know how it works. Do you think there is an opportunity for startups, rapidly growing businesses, the non-corporate world to create a different work experience for, for people in the world of work today? I absolutely do. I think it has to start with us. The corporates have so many bodies that they have to have a central large office space. Um, we've done without an office for some time. We've only just really taken uh, a fixed office in the corner of actually somebody else's office because we have few people, few bodies to house, and they come in at different times of the week, so it's quite difficult to use a workspace where you tap in, tap out per person. The costs rack up way beyond the benefit. So I think by not having an office, that really opens up home working, which is very helpful for many um, I have a social media manager who is in Hertfordshire and I only met her several months into her working for me and realised how young her baby was. He was four months when she started working for us. Um, she's done the most spectacular job. Um, and, you know, we, we had a, a, a sort of off-site style session at the beginning of the year and I, I reflected afterwards that it was an on-site. I had to bring people in, which was against the norm of the way we work. So I think that Smaller companies have no legacy to, to change from, to, to evolve from. They have smaller budgets. They don't need the overheads of an office necessarily. And, you know, we have, we're a blank canvas. So I can't think of anyone in my professional circle or my personal circle who wants to work in an office Monday to Friday, nine to five. People want stimulating work with just enough human interaction, whether that's virtual or physical, 
to to enjoy it and have the banter. I mean, we have a banter channel in our Slack. We even have a back rub channel in our <laughs> Slack, which is you just need to vent and, and have somebody feel sorry for you. Uh, no one's dared to use it yet, but I might get in there today. Um, so, you know, it's kind of what, what matters to you about working in a group and does that have to be in, a, in an office in the centre of a city that takes ages to get to and totally clashes with your school drop and pick up? Um, we did a survey recently to better resource the sort of admin support for our team and said, when do you tend to need support, questions and contact with the central team? Because we feel that we're staffing at 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and that's not really working. And they were like, absolutely, it's Monday night and Sunday night. That's when we do all our admin. So we're changing it, changing our rotor. And people are not going to be on duty Monday in the day or Tuesday in the day. They're going to be Monday evening, Sunday evening, when we've identified an actually data-driven decision. Um, That's when people need us. So it comes with its challenges. As I've said, I felt completely overwhelmed that I never switch off because somebody is always on needing help. The number of companies I've worked with where they want to support flexible working, but because people don't talk about it, they don't talk about when they might be free. There's this general culture of it's okay to do flexible working and you can come in late and that's okay and you can leave early or you can stay late. And people know individually what they do but they're not really aware of how other people do it. And so when they see that people aren't working the same time as them, they don't have that Mm. visibility. And so then you start to get that doubt. It can be really really difficult. I mean, you know, we had a bit of a moment about a month ago thinking, can we really do this? Are we just shooting ourselves in the foot here? And with a few little changes about visibility and transparency, just like you said, you know, allow people to know when that other person is prefers to be contacted. It's not that you can't contact them outside that time. They just might not reply very quickly. Would you identify one most successful management practice that you've implemented that you're like that's what this company couldn't live without i would say it's actually trello rather than slack i love slack and it's doing a great job but if i had to live with one of them without one of them i couldn't live without trello why um it's a way for me as um ceo to oversee a number of different work streams where only those people have to worry about all the updates and the and the detail and it's much easier to scan and search for the detail, historic detail, than Slack. And it's also a way for um, task management with due dates and members of a task, uh, for collaboration and for visibility and accountability. You know, I'm the worst for having the longest ever to-do list, but I can actually just move it sideways and think, actually, I've got to get someone else to do that and that and that and that. Um, and I actually use it as a way to get, keep my time and, and effort because if everyone can see my list, I'm like, do you want to put it above all that stuff? Or do you want to find someone else to do it? (laughs) So they have to consciously see my list and put something in at Mm. the top if they want me to see it this week. For anyone who's not familiar with Trello, it's a really versatile visual task board. The traditional way to set it up is very much like an agile development board. So you'd have to do doing blocked and done. And you would move tasks across. But for my team, we often use it, say, for the marketing board we have, for my many freelancers, and we are a bit fractured on, on several functions of our business, partly due to the budgets and partly due to flexible working, each team member might only come in for six to 12 hours a week and they need to know very quickly what they need to do. And so they fed back to me that they would rather have a column just for them of their tasks. And they're aware of everybody else, but basically they just work through their tasks. Mm-hmm. And I can manage their time more efficiently by kind of checking, right, they're in today, what are they going to be doing? Okay, it's in the right order, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so basically I get away with managing about 15 people only really checking in weekly with them yeah if that because I really know if it's used properly I know what they're doing and I'm a bit of a control freak 
because um, I've grown the business quite quickly from just being me. And obviously, you know, budgets are tight, so I need to know everyone's working very well. I'm, I'm an efficiency cr- uh, um, geek, really, rather than a control freak. But I just want to know that things are moving along, and I don't want to have to ask how something's going. And Trello takes that weight off because people can proactively be updating it, and I can just see and not even bother them to tell me what the update is. It's just um, at arm's length. Yeah. Can you share what's one of the most innovative things you've done from a people management perspective at Mamacodes? So something we struggle with, and I'm sure all small businesses struggle with, is kind of really good customer service and admin support. We've tried quite a few different individuals, and um, through various churn, we needed to find a new solution quite recently. So we um, thought about a sort of virtual assistant agency so that there would always be cover, there'd be depth when we needed it. As I've mentioned, you know, our customers aren't working nine to five and our team aren't either. So we needed people quite flexible or a numerous team who could slot in. And whilst on a completely personal Facebook group discussion, I came across an amazing company called Another Mother Admin. And they are a team of 12 homeworking mums who are organised by your customer, your account manager. And uh, they've come on board and we share so much in terms of our ethos um, and working practices. In fact, they heard about Trello and rolled it out across their whole company the first week they started working with us. So that's a bit of a vote of confidence. And uh, it's just been brilliant. The first video call we had, we each met each other's kids and cats and thought this is the right kind of cultural fit. Yeah, yeah, amazing. (laughs) And it's just great to have the depth so we can flex up and down. We have no minimum hours with them but they've got under the skin of the business and we can outsource our listings updates, our invoicing, and crucially, our customer service. What do you envisage Mamacodes being like as a place to work in the future? I would like to evolve on the work we've been doing around um, inclusivity and, and supporting flexible working. And that doesn't just mean working around a young child or a baby or other studies. It means bringing in talent when they are available in the ways in which they want to engage with us and recognising that in this new economy most people are going to be freelance and, and sort of in charge of their own time and revenue. Um, something I'm really passionate about alongside flexible working is upskilling and that nobody can ever be left behind. Um, people join Mama Codes whether as a customer or as a team member to learn and pass on digital skills. That's one of the key motivating factors. So we're rolling out more support for anybody to improve their coding skills or start them in some cases. Mm-hmm. If you're not in a teaching function, or even if you are, you may have no background in tech, and that's something that we sort of fly the flag for, that this is for everyone. It shouldn't just be the preserve of maths whizzes, men, people with certain degrees. Um, so I very much foresee us growing globally, becoming a household name for children's coding activities and provision. We really want to redefine coding education, so we do attract rebels. <laughs> rebels and and passionate campaigners um but we're a sort of um a broad church really for people who think that um in the 21st century children need to be equipped with very different skills to what they're getting in school Mm -hmm. and that those people need to be helping us support schools and families to to keep up and and stay ahead when you talked about developing people's skills with the company Mm -hmm the thing that really resonated for me or sounds like it's a reflection of your brand is yes it is about developing these crucial skills in children it's also about developing those in their parents and their teachers but there's that plays out internally within your business too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you're as 
you will not only take on the most qualified developers to play these teaching roles, but actually yeah. in learning to be a teacher within the Mamacodes community, you're as much a um, sort of a recipient of the Mamacodes uh, yes. system yeah. as you are then a, a core part of it. Yeah. So the way I, I foresee uh, Mamacodes evolving as somewhere to work and a, and a working culture is that we will stay true to our values of flexible working and empowerment and upskilling will be a new area of focus leading on from that. So if we think about our activities as uh, empowering and training children in the skills of the future, we already see that a lot of our staff join us because they want to learn those skills and pass them on. And I would love to devote a bit more time and energy to thinking about the skills that our team would like to extend. We already pass on a lot of uh, valuable best practice around digital tools and running a digital business in terms of our local licensees running their own businesses. And we take on teaching staff with no tech background and teach them really quite a lot uh, about technology and, and coding. But I would love to, to, to really explore how far we can go with that, as I think in this new economy where people are largely freelance and picking and choosing the jobs and the clients that they want, that will be a really strong card for us in attracting the best talent. Mm. And then what would you like your customers to be saying about you in, say, five years' time? So what I love hearing from our customers when I attend classes, and I attend classes whenever I can, is the word genius. A lot of our customers just come out and say, that was genius. It's something I've never come across before. I never knew it would exist. I never knew I could feel that way about a subject I assumed was boring and dry. And they feel empowered. They understand what it is. They think, oh, I might go and play with it at home. I know how to support my child. So I want our customers to feel valued and enriched and excited and inspired um, and to feel that we've given them, as well as their children, a real boost in digital confidence. And what about your employees? What do you want them to be saying about you in, say, five years? I think for our for our team, uh, I'm not sure there'll be employees. So it depends. Oh. They might be franchisees, they might be freelancers, but I want everyone to feel very valued and welcome and in a great community um, to feel that they're working somewhere very mission-driven, very ambitious, um, fast growth, uh, but still human. Mm. Thank you very much, Leanne. No I have problem. no more questions to ask you, but it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, me too. Thank you. Next week, I'm interviewing Sophie Costello, founder of Costello Medical. Listen in to find out how she's never lost sight of the human beings at the centre of her data analytics company and continues to develop the culture by listening to what people want at every stage of the company's growth. If you've enjoyed this show, please leave a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people find us and to spread these ideas. If you end up testing any of the ideas shared in this show in your own organisation, please tell us about it at getintouchatthepioneers.co.uk. We love to hear your stories. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.